Hey, deserving listeners. So we have a bunch of short questions that you submitted to us that you wanted us to talk about. I thought I would do that with Umberto and Michael Drain here. So let's get into that. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carconda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I make sundials that work in the dark. <laughs> My name is Michael Drain. I am a therapist and host of the Unpopular Culture Podcast. So uh, there's a number of little things that people wanted us to talk about. Um, I'll start with one thing that I know neither of you, because you haven't seen the documentary, The Family I Had, right? No. So I'll just briefly talk about it. People wanted me to talk about it. It's a documentary. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's, it's a documentary about a family, three generations, and the boy, uh, he kills his younger sister oh. in this very random act of murder that seemingly came out of nowhere. Was it an accident? Or? No, it was okay. on purpose, and he's currently in prison. And oh, it's oh like, it was like, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago that he did it. How old was he? He was, I think, 13, and his, his sister was like five, I think. Oh, my oh, God. And it was brutal, too. It was like... Oh. Yeah. And it like- so the documentary focuses on the mom, primarily, because oh. um, she, she only had two kids. And, um, and then she has, she has now a new kid who's oh like one or two years old. And they also focus on the mom's mom because the mom's mom, the grandma of the kid who, you know, died and the kid who killed someone, uh, ha- ex- seemingly has some psychopathic traits oh, as see. well. Hard to know. There's also this implication like she, the grandma might have murdered her husband like, oh, like 40 years ago or something. Um, so it's an interesting documentary. It's called The Family Crap. I Had. And what I will say is that if you've seen it, um, it it's a good ex- – the kid, the, the boy, is a good example of what we would call a sadistic psychopath. Uh, by the way, this is not a reenactment thing. It's a documentary. Yeah. And they interview the kid in, in prison. Okay. Oh, boy. And um, so – and they have – and because – you know, the kid grew up with in the time of video cameras. They have all this footage oh. of the boy and, as a young person, and then the boy playing with the with his younger sister and all that kind of stuff. So, I, oh, so, so sorry. This is a real story. This yeah. Is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, documentary. Yeah. Okay. okay. Can you see it when they show those videos of of them playing and stuff? Can you notice anything like yeah. behaviorally? Right. So there were. So I'll just go through the the. Things that point us to this is a good depiction of an extreme psychopath, meaning that he lacks empathy and remorse, and he's also sadistic in that he likes to target other people with aggression and he likes to harm other people. So first off, we can see potentially a genetic disposition. There's no way to measure that, but you have a grandma who might also have psychopathy passed down through the generations there there seems to be some link genetically t- to this it's obviously not a slam dunk if you have a psychopathic parent it's not like you're automatically a psychopath right. it's, it's just a much higher though if there were environmental factors you would look for a history of trauma the kid would be abused that kind of thing exactly so he was mistreated in early childhood they kind of glossed over it because it was focused on the mom and the mom would be responsible for a lot of that but the mom when he the boy was a young child the mom had a lot of problems with alcohol and drugs and everything, and, and they kind of glossed over that. What about the father? The father had issues, too, uh, and he might have actually even died at some point. Oh, also mysteriously died? Um, no, not mysteriously, like, uh, like for some—I right. I can't remember. Um, 
So, so you have genetic disposition, you have the mistreatment of childhood, neglect, this kind of thing, mm-hmm. which for some kids, essentially, to put a fine point on it, the idea goes is that, in, in a psychoanalytic sense, is that you are being treated badly, and so you have a choice. You can either be a victim to that and just be like, you know, I'm, I'm a victim, I'm sad, I'm demoralized, and you enter this, 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 this sort of, it's your fate to be abused. The other option, and there's a few others, but one of the options that you have is you can identify with, with the problem, with the abuser, and you could say, um, well, I'm just as powerful as them, mm. and I'm going to internalize that power because I like that power. I like that power to eliminate other people's happiness. You know? I see. And so you start identifying in that way. You could almost say through modeling, but also it's just a way to cope. When you feel powerless feels good to be powerful and so when his younger sister is born into the family he's already feeling pretty bad about life he's already traumatized and has attachment issues and now he looks at his younger sister and he's like you're taking away attention from me so and, there's like a reactive attachment uh, sort of thing. and so he's he starts to be aggressive towards the and there's video of mm-hmm. the mom you know with filming the two kids and the older boy is is kind of starting to be a little rough with the like you know eighteen month old younger oh. sister, and the mom's like, "Take it easy, play right. nice," you know. And he's significantly older. He's not like three years old. He's like eight right. or nine at the time, you know. And so, so you see this pattern of aggressiveness and harming other people. Um, then we see that he starts drawing a lot of drawings of guns and knives, and he's really into violence. And it's concerning to the family. So we're starting to build a pattern here, which is very common for this progression of personality. For sure. Then he murders his younger sister oh. for no reason. Like it, there was, there was right. no precipitating event. He just probably had an urge to do it for a long time. He and sounds kind of reactive attachment-y, though. Like, could he have perceived some kind of uh, slight against mom giving the sister more attention or, or, I mean, or that, maybe a psychotic quality? Was there anything like that? No, he didn't, through his the rest of his life, didn't exhibit any psychosis. Okay. But, yes, um, I mean, not I, the language reactive attachment, you know, is not the language I would use. I would just use that attachment, massive attachment problem, uh, and the, his defense against that was like to blame his younger sister for his problems, wow. right? And and that built and built and built in him. And again, with the disposition for lack of empathy and all that kind of stuff. You Perfect know, he, storm. He, he murders her. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is as soon as he does it, he calls the cops and says, I did it. Like Ooh, there, there was no oh. investigation. Like within minutes, he calls 911 and he's like, I killed and because wow. as, according to his account he in that moment actually felt scared that she was going to die and he was pretty sure she was dead cuz he he really went to town on her oh. but but he had this thought like well maybe if the ambulance comes they can save her cuz I don't actually want her to die so it's just interesting oh how Oh my god and 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 so and then he obviously goes to prison and blah 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 so this is a good example of a extreme case of sadistic psychopathy, personality problem that comes from a disposition, comes from mistreatment and shows how dysfunctional these people are because in the movies we have, you know, sadistic psychopaths depicted as these evil geniuses or people have this narrative now because of popular discourse 
that psychopaths are like CEOs and stuff. And certainly yeah. they can be. <laughs> certainly some CEOs can have those qualities. And sometimes psychopathy <laughs> can help you rise in the ranks because you don't have a problem like stepping on other people or manipulating things. Also keeping in mind that psychopathy exists on the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you're lower on the spectrum. But when you have full-blown psychopaths, you have massive dysfunction. He says, right after I did it, I regretted it. And I've regretted it ever since. Right. If I could take it, I, you know, I wish he was alive, you know, and he's, he's even kind of like, I kind of wish maybe I would be dead or something, you know? So of course, sorry, keeping in mind the psych, if if he is on the psychopathy spectrum, he might be saying that playing to the camera that's interviewing, interviewing him could be saying that without ever having seen this, but, but totally it's possible to know, but a combination of both. Sure. I, I think, I think he, from his, you know, his, I think he's like 20 or 21 now, maybe 24, his interviews, he comes across as someone who has problems. Like, you can kind of tell that he has issues. You could tell that he's not, like, deeply remorseful the way that a non-psychopath would be. Right. But you can also tell, like, he regrets it. Like, and he's not, he's not like, he, 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 he. Plus, like I said, as soon as he did it, he called 911. But I've yeah. seen, I've seen somebody kill somebody, call 911, and they did it because they saw that as the next logical course of action, or even as a matter of curiosity about what the, or, or, uh, or a desire for the attention for what they had sure. done to befall on them. Uh, I, maybe, but he's, when he calls 911, it seems clear to me that my point is, is that, it, it's a common narrative that it's like, oh, like, right. The, this isn't the, some like the gears are turning. He he was looking at this miles ahead of time, yeah, and he had the genius. the six foot grave dug already, and the body was never seen again. Right. It, and, it, there's this, this there's this story in our culture of people who do this are masterminds, and they're they plan everything out, and they're manipulating everyone, and they know what's going to happen. Right. The vast majority of psychopaths are not like that. They shoot themselves in the foot all the time. They they act on impulse because yeah. of their issues, and then they're like, "Holy crap! I just ruined my life." Like this happened. Yeah. You know, so many psychopaths end up in prison for this reason. H- have you guys seen the latest uh, Ted Bundy documentary on Netflix? Have you? Yeah. No, but I want to talk about it. Well, let's watch it, and we'll do an episode on it. Yeah. All I'm going to say I'm right this second one. is one of the obvious things, and I, you know, we've talked about it before and stuff. So I sort of I've forgotten more about Ted Bundy yeah. than you know. But the point is, he sabotaged himself so much, right? And so that's right. an example of like, and that, and that I would call Ted Bundy as one of the pinnacle examples of the genius psychopath, right? So you know? he he was actually very smart, right? And actually was very good at manipulating right. people. And yet, and yet he he yeah. drove his life down the tube. Right, exactly. You know what I mean. You so, can only get away with killing people for so long before you get no, caught. No, no, right, totally. But are. but on top of that, he would self sabotage constantly. So like to bolster Kirk's point, even in a case where it's an adult with smarts, with experience, and all these things, part of the psychopathy is actually the dysfunction and know? the beauty of the documentary because it's focused on these. Uh, interview tapes that haven't really ever been published uh, to this extent is he was suffering quite a bit prior to the his initial killing. Right. Y- you get the sense that even though on the outside he appeared to be put together and you know attractive and you know charming, uh, on the inside 
he he talks about how after being broken up, his, his first girl, his he's like my very first girlfriend. You know, the first person I had sex with, I was totally in love with her. You know, when she broke up with me, I entered like. He, he didn't even say, to, and this is indicative, and I'm glad he put it this way, and we'll talk about this when we talk about it, but he talks about how he was suffering so bad that he doesn't even really remember that period of time in his life. Right. From the like, trauma. Right. Because when you, ent- to be depressed, you actually have to have a stable self. You actually have to be like, well, there's me, and now I'm depressed, when you don't have a self and you go through horrible experiences, oh, wow. it, the, the floor just drops out from underneath you and you're just suffering in a vast sea and you don't even really know how to word it. Like you're just, you're just in a horrible state. And he kind of describes that. Weird. And the way he came out of that was he decided he was going to get revenge. Yeah. And that's what gave him sort of something to hold on Purpose. to. Right. And, and, and not, of course, every psychopath is like this, right. but... But they they lay that out well that, again, it wasn't like he was 22 and going, ha, 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 I, I'm going to do this. It was it emerged out of a, the deep abyss that personality disorders yeah. produce. Well, they'll you know? do it just to feel something. They'll kill somebody or hurt somebody just to feel something because sure. they don't. Right. Yeah. And and the common the common misconception is that. They, that people who are psychop- psychopathic or antisocial don't feel anything for anybody, but it's not that black and white. You you can fall in love and be antisocial and be antisocial towards certain groups of people right. or everybody but your inner circle. Right. There's like all kinds guy. of mix and matches. Right. And to put a fine point on that, it is that, and I'm glad you're bringing that up because that's often something that I'm talking about, is, again, just because you're antisocial, just because you're a psychopath, doesn't mean you don't still have attachment needs. Right. In fact, you probably have deeper attachment needs because oftentimes these conditions are born out of trauma and neglect- and horribleness. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll definitely yeah. have to watch. I, it's, a, it's, it's only like four hours, and so I'm, I'm like <laughs> half an hour uh, through the first episode, right. I think. Uh, the other thing that I want to get into when we talk about it is that for the first... So, you know, Ted Bundy was in Seattle, and specifically... The U District. Well, University of Washington and Issaquah, where I grew up. So <laughs> I was... There's a, there's a chance that... I was in this at the same park as he was. Oh, I'm sure, oh, yeah. dude. While he in, during one of his killings, you know, yeah. a, and and with the internet now, they have all of his locations uh, published, and right. and there's all these public. In fact, one of the locations is within blocks of your house. Oh my god! Like oh. like one of the locations is just. I actually looked it up. And You're I, gonna have to show me, man. Yeah, there's actually That's a few. Crazy. So one of the one of the girl. Well, I think maybe the first girl he killed lived like within two blocks of your house wow yeah anyway let's talk about class warfare someone wants us to talk about that berto what do you think yeah let's do it man it is a topic du jour so talk about it well let's define it so sure let's define it so you have different social economic maybe could be also racial classes class warfare could mean a lot of different things Right. right and then the warfare it's actually kind of a misnomer right because it makes it sound like these are Two warring factions going at each other and stuff, but usually it's actually a one-sided battle, <laughs> you know. Hmm. Uh, and so historically, because I grew up in uh, in in Colombia, and, and you know, there was there was a country that was part of this big empire at some point where the Sp- Spain came and took over, 
And essentially the class warfare was, again, it wasn't really a war, right? It was, here's how it is. Here's the, the type, the, the Spaniards who were in the religion are the top. Then Spaniards who are not in the religion, but our soldiers are next. Then are all other Spaniards. Then you get to Spaniards born in the new continent, but still 100% blooded Spaniards. Then you get to Spaniards who had, a, uh, I guess, babies with the locals. And so their babies are now less. And then you, and then so forth. All you get all the way down to like, if you were a mix of a native and a, and a, an African black, you're done. Like you were at the very, very bottom of the pile. Yeah. Was there ever, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but while you lived in Bogota as a kid, there was a coup of some kind. Yeah, well, what, the, what we had was a lot of guerrilla warfare, right? So that's that, where the... Was that class warfare? Yeah, it, except... So that's how it started, right? It started in that the farms... The farmers out in the periphery of the cities, they were so dispossessed and they saw such inequities that they at first banded together with leftist ideals and they said, you know, we got to fight for our country. We're going to fight the powers that be. Because at the time you had similar movements in like Nicaragua right, and, right. Um, you know, other places like that. And it that. was very popular because they had read Marx and they thought, well, yeah, power to the people. We're going to turn this all into a communist ideal and, and so forth. And, and Cuba had... Effectively found power and right. And, it's kind of like a poster child, yeah, yeah. And so uh, when we were driving around Bogota, you pointed to this building. It was like the Senate building or something. Yeah, and you're like, that's where uh, the guerrillas in, like invaded the. They actually got into the Senate. It was the Justice Palace. Oh, like justice. It was where all the yeah, justices. How do you say it in, in Colombia? El Palacio de Justicia. The Justice Palace. <laughs> That's, right. Um, That's right. And one of your relatives like got killed, right, or something? Uh, it was actually the other way. Well, yes, got killed, but it's because they were one of the revolutionaries. One of your relatives was one of the revolutionaries. Yeah. Uh, it was an indirect relative, but it was the father of one of the, the sort of cousins in my life. Yeah, when I hear about this, and there's countless other examples. I mean, Venezuela is going through right. horrible times right now. Right. And I always just have to chuckle at how Americans think our country is going down the tubes. Right. It's like, there are things to complain about. Sure. But like, all you got to do is just kind of look around and go like, we're doing a lot better. There's that things could be uh, uh, so much worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, we don't True. have... Imagine if like... Um, Communists in you know broke into our our Congress and started killing people with guns. Sure, like that yeah. that would be horrible, right? You know, people trolling people on Twitter, uh, you know, doesn't compare in my. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. The, the one thing I do I, I do tell people, especially there are some people that uh, have are from the generation, the boomer generation, and they have this very idyllic notion of the 50s, and mostly because they were white, so they, they did have a good time, you know? In the United States? In the United States. And I actually try to make a case within their worldview, saying, like, look, actually, a lot of the things you loved, I loved too, and I always looked up to the U.S. because of it. Things like amazing road systems, and, like, you could go to places and trust the water was good, and, like, you know that the local cops were on the ball, you know, like these kind of things. And granted, it is totally fantastical because in reality there were problems, but by comparison, it was pretty good. 
And especially if you were a white American living in middle America in, in the 50s and 60s, you had it pretty good, you know? Well, what I try to tell them is a lot of the things I see happening at the governmental level are very reminiscent of what the stuff I saw growing up, which is like this like little clicky corruption of like, I'll bring in my buddy here and my family member here, and we're just going to lie and lie every day to everyone, right? and we're going to make up facts on the fly, and we're going to use intimidation, and we're going to use like... And, and that I saw it all the time growing up. So I look at it, I'm like... You run the risk of turning this into a third world, like right, you know, thing. Right. The the importance is the faith in the system. Right. So right. when you have corruption, you lose faith in the system. Right. Right. When you denigrate the um, the the whole system of checks and balances, like right. you just say the Supreme Court is idiots, or right. you know the House is are idiots, or the justice system is are idiots, or the CIA are idiots, or FBI right. are idiots. Right. It undermines everyone's confidence in the system, and, and then that starts to produce cracks, and then things can fall apart really right. quickly. I agree with that, and that's why, uh, you know, of anything that Trump does that's dangerous, it's that. Yeah. Um, you know, to create an, an entire system where people literally believe now that they can't believe anything because they think it's the Russians. You right, know? right. And, and so, uh, but Don't I want to get believe anything you see or hear. Do you <laughs> see class warfare as inevitable? From a, a boiling yeah. down to a sociological phenomenon? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I, it's like crime. We should, not that we shouldn't continue to fight against it, but as people organize themselves into societies, from lords and serfs of medieval Europe to high school cliques, you're going to have class warfare. Right. Again, it depends on what you mean by warfare, as we were saying earlier. But yeah, I totally agree, and I'm glad you're bringing that up, in that when you have power, yeah. it's natural to use that power, or not natural. Human nature. It's common, let's just say, uh, especially if you're afraid. Um, if you have power, it's tempting, shall we say, to use that power to retain and grow your power. And it comes from the human compulsion to demagogue that which is not similar to you. Right. So there is uh, a very frequent or universal phenomenon in any society, uh, even in societies where you try to eliminate class. like Or in, micro societies like high school. Yeah. You know? Right. Status. Status. You know, the popular right. people. Exactly. Versus, yeah, for sure. But there's so many things I want to get to. So I want to get off this, this track. Uh, a few weeks ago, we did an episode about uh, the Gillette episode. Oh, commercial. yeah. And we got a lot of responses. I'm sure we did. So we had a debate about... Um, oh, yeah, that was a healthy debate. Did you hear our debate? No, dude. You would have appreciated the I debate. I would have, and I didn't even see this. You'll have to describe it to so me. So I just want to give Umberto a chance to respond a little bit, because Umberto was taking the position that that um, uh, giving empathy to guys... Because in the Gillette commercial, there's a scene where a guy sees a, a, a attractive woman walking by, and he looks like he's standing outside of a 7-Eleven kind of place. An attractive woman walks by, and she kind of has a sour face on her face. She because just, of him? No, she just looks no. like she's like in a bad mood. She's okay. She doesn't look happy. She, she, she looks kind of in a bad mood, and she's pretty determinedly walking. Yeah. And, and she's attractive, and she's you know curvy and has a nice dress on. And he starts to move towards her to talk to her, and his he friend, makes a face like "oh," and then he starts moving towards. Like, hey, her. baby, what's going? He on? He doesn't say anything. Okay, yeah. he just makes a face like "ooh," and he starts walking towards her. Okay, and then his friend says, "Dude, not cool." Stops him. Says, "Dude, not cool. Not yeah. cool." And that—that's the whole scene. It's probably like 
That's probably literally like a second long. How is that a razor commercial? <laughs> so, so you don't know about the commercial? No, I haven't seen it. So that, that so, was a lot of. So the it's just like Gillette buy Gillette razors. Well, so Gillette had this controversial commercial that I heard about the was, controversy. Yeah, go it's ahead. about toxic masculinity, and the whole commercial is 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 you have to watch it. It's sort of a weird artistic rendition. There's there's you have to watch it, but one of the scenes was that, and we you and I, Umberto and I, focused on this one scene because I thought. You know, we would just sort of glance on that scene and, and move on to And other you felt scenes. it was one of the good examples. Well, I felt like overall the Gillette commercial, again, my thesis was if we're depending on Gillette to teach us about masculinity, we're already at, we're already we've already lost, you know. Right. Um, so and how can we trust Gillette and the marketers thereof right. to know how to communicate about gender and right. about about my mass toxic masculinity and stuff. So it's a tall order to begin with. Also, uh, just looking at the commercial, if I was to make a commercial about toxic masculinity, um, I would have made it much differently. Right. One that was, and you you devised a script that was much more tight. You know, right. it was just like just focus have, on like one thing, one you know? thing that was much more understandable for you know people that don't understand toxic less debatable so what's the controversy that he approached her oh the controversy with the ad is Is that the the whole whole ad ad rubbed a lot of males the wrong way right so and yeah so i got into a debate about that scene and and i was saying like well i kind of get it because if i was that if i was coming out of 7-Eleven and I saw you, Umberto, go ooh and like you were about to... I didn't say ooh. I just made an ooh face. Well, you yeah. made an ooh face and you were about to, uh, you know, chase down this this woman. Was and, he chasing her? No, he, no. Was, he was just about... Well, he would have had to kind of trot up I to mean, her. Like, anyway, that... anyway, I, I would okay. have... I, I said I agree with that, not because of a PC you know, political correct rule that you're not supposed to. I was saying... and. The debate between Min and Berto really helped me to hone in on it, on exactly my logic, which is that odds the yeah the probability of her being so there's three main categories she is uh, or maybe four uh, one is is that she's receptive and she's like yay the other is is that she's neutral she's like eh, not into it you know but I don't really care the other possibility is that she doesn't want you to walk up to her and she's annoyed with it. And the fourth possibility is that it's mildly traumatic for her because she's been through it so many times and she's been literally traumatized and scared by men walking up to her on the street and, and being having this attitude towards her. So those are the four possibilities. And what I was saying was the probability. So the only one that would make it worth it is if she's receptive. And I'm and my thing was like the probability of that happening is so low and the probability of some negative result happening to her as a result of you walking up to her in the middle of the street in the middle of the day as she's walking to work or something is so much higher. And even if it wasn't very high, it's just not worth it. There are other places that you can hit on women rather than walking up to them as they're, as women are trying to walk to work. And my, my meta point was sort of like the probabilities of all of what you said right now are so true that the probability that he's been, his feelings have been hurt repeatedly by nose are very high. So he's been sure. traumatized. So therefore the probability is that he's going to get shut down. So the guts it takes for this guy to try again. Yay. You know, that. Kind so, of so a lot of people did I not see both sides of this. A lot of people didn't like what, what you had to, what you had to say, Berto. So I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to sure. that. Sure. 
Did they say it's specific? Or? Well, I'll get, I'm trying to get to all that, right, but do you right. have anything to say? Anyway, so here we go. Um, oh, my God. No offense, Umberto, but do you just not get this? This is from Patricia. Women do not want this sort of attention. Nothing to do with looks. It's harassment, pure and simple. I've experienced it, and I feel it as totally disrespectful and bordering on threatening. What do you think, Berto? Again, I mean, I, I, just to be clear, because if, if the implication is that he's catcalling, saying rude things, no one's disagreeing. Yeah. That's not what they showed at all. They showed him looking visually interested in her and starting to make a move to go try to talk to her. Now, will it have failed? Most likely, yes. So if, if that's the same category we're talking about and you still feel that way, all right, fair enough. Uh, maybe maybe it's, it's a fact. And maybe it's like that's just an avenue that's just not open. You cannot approach women on the street. Maybe that's a fact. I don't know that that's true. I have questions. <laughs> okay. I, are you done? I didn't I'm done that. with that diatribe. Okay, yeah. Um, did she respond in any way? They didn't show the subsequent because he was stopped by his So she never said, get away from me, or I, I am adverse to this advance in any way. She no, no, never no, no, gave no. any signal. No, he never even got that far because his buddy stopped him. Because I'm pretty sure for it to be harassment, wouldn't she have to reject it, and then he would have to keep going? No, the implication from these comments is that it's harassment just from the start. So it's no, harassment no, no, just no, no. for a guy to approach a girl. It and sounds like it. No. See, this is... On the street, if she's We're getting back like into that, the same debate, but the... The pro- it's probability. It's not automatic harassment. There's a chance that she'd be into it. No, I'm saying read her. It's comment. a low if chance. Read her sure. comment. There's a uh, well. She says women do not want this sort of attention because, from her experience, most women don't. And and the last little bit. Um, she said like borders on harassment or something. It's totally disrespectful and bordering on threatening. Bordering on bordering on threatening. Okay, fine. Thre- so she how is say it harassment? threatening? If I mean I haven't seen this, but how is it threatening? If if all he did was approach her, all he would have done is approach because, her on the street. Because when you're a woman, particularly if you're a curvy, attractive woman, you are a tr- you are approached. Particularly if you're in a culture that this happens a lot. For sure, this happens. So often and in, you know, like every fifth time or every other time is done in, in an actual threatening way. Because you can imagine men being really gross about this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And they are. And right. there's a bunch of clueless assholes out there that don't know how to talk to people, let alone women. Exactly. No doubt. And then you approach in the exact same way, even if you have like good intentions. How does she know that? Is the point, and that's where the empathy comes in, where you have to actually, like, like there's this one example that I always say that really kind of made it click for me. Because as a guy, I before I woke up, I had no idea really what women were talking about when they were talking about this. Because, and I had a similar reaction to this. I'm like, well, what's wrong? Like, what you can't walk up to women on the street? Like, if I was to walk up to a woman on the street, I don't have any. And if she told me to fuck off, I'd be like, okay, sorry, you know, and no big deal. Well, this one example was uh, this woman, um, Rebecca Watson. She's a famous scientist uh, person. She was at a convention where, where she was actually talking. She was giving us, you know, a talk, and a lot. She had a lot of fans. It was in Vegas, and she gets into an elevator to go to her room in Vegas and to go to bed. It's late at night, and this other guy gets in the elevator with her, not on purpose, just kind of randomly. Yeah. They're both going up in the elevator together. It's just the two of them, and he's a big guy. She's a short woman. 
and he turns to her and he says, "Oh, I, you know, I, you're Rebecca Watson. I really like, I really like your stuff." And and she's like, "Oh, thanks." And then you know she, she doesn't really think anything of it. She's like, "Okay, that's great." And then they're going up the elevator a little bit more, and he says to her, "So would you like to come to my room? You know, I'm 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 having people over, and I'd love to hang out with you in my room." Yeah. And she's like, um, no, thanks, you know. And then she goes into her room, and then she tweets something like, hey, guys, if you're in an elevator with someone that you want to talk to, uh, little advice, don't, don't hit on her in a closed box in an elevator. Uh, it's not appreciated. Now, she just meant it as this harmless little tweet or whatever, wherever she posted it. I don't know. But it had this huge backlash. She has a lot of followers that are, that are men, and a lot of followers who are men who are awkward around women, you know, frankly. And so there was this huge back, backlash to the point where Richard Dawkins of evolutionary, you know, you might even, do you know Richard Dawkins? Mm-hmm. He's a yep. famous person. He even came out against Rebecca Watson and, right. and said that, she, that Rebecca Watson was wrong for saying this thing. When I first saw this, I was on the side of all these men. I was just like, what? So you can't, you can't just, you know, we don't know. Now... She was kind of implying, like, this was threatening, this was scary, uh, I was scared. It, it sort of scared me. Right. And I'm like, well, you're just, so you're, the chance that he was a rapist is pretty low, you know what I mean? Like, the chance that he was totally on the up and up and a nice guy, and he was literally just asking if he wanted to come back and hang out with his friends, he could have even been gay for all we know, we don't know. Yeah. And so, uh, why are you painting him as this automatic rapist? Are you looking at me like I'm an automatic rapist? That doesn't seem fair. It seems like an overreaction or something. Or overgeneralization. Yeah, overgeneralization. Like a massive overgeneralization. Yeah, like the, a stereotype, perhaps? The, the, the amount of men who rape are very small. There's very right. little, you know, the percentage of men who um, have, you know, sexually assaulted people is small. And so, you know, having said that, it happens a lot. But so I had a similar reaction. As the blow-up happened, she started to explain her position. I slowly started to realize that women are, many women are on this complete chasm. They're on the other side of this chasm in this whole other world than the world I live in, where I can walk down the street and just, you know, do my life and dress the way I want to dress and smile at people and have eye contact with people and... And just have a have a regular safe life. Women walk through the world in this constant barrage, especially if you're, you know, again a curvy, attractive woman. Yeah. But even if you're not, it's like it's it, according to other women, you know, uh, it, it still happens. There, even though only one out of fifty men will do something to to the to women. Uh, if you come into contact with hundreds of, or you come into visual contact with hundreds of men every day, then you're going to get harassed in these very gross and scary ways. Oh, I've heard crazy stories. Right. Guys are just clueless. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, and some are literal rapists that yeah, are too, out yeah. in public. Like mm-hmm. they actually kind of get off, or just, or something in between, where they're just pushy enough that she feels uncomfortable, and right. he won't take the hint. He won't get away. They're at a, she's at a bar with her friend, and the guy just won't just like even she'll like ramp up how uh, blunt about it she is until she has to actually say like get the fuck away from me, right. and even then, right, he won't get the clue. Yeah, and that's scary because it, it's like where how far is this guy going to take this? So, you know but I mean? my question is, 
that's not what you described in that scene with the Gillette commercial. And that's the way I used to think. And when we hear, so let me read some more women's responses. They can't, all these women can't be delusional, right? So that's, that's the, the assumption you have to go on. It's like when we listen to their experience, because they're in a whole other world, we have to assume they're not stupid or delusional. Okay, some other people. Natasha, every, both of us know Natasha, everyone. Oh, or I different. Know Natasha. No, I think it, yeah. She came the to the live Natasha. show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I've literally never had a date off of being approached in the middle of the street. Another person, um, actually Lyndon chimed in and he said, devil's advocate. I know couples who have met this way. So do I. Of course. That's my mind. But right. anyways, I mean, I mean Patri- nobody Pat- has ever met bumping into each other. In no, 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 no. But Patricia goes, let me, let me read these. Cause I think yeah. they need to go. Patricia says, uh, Lyndon, I'm sure some have, I can only speak for myself when I say that it would put me off if a guy approached me like that. But different strokes for different folks. So, are these on uh, Facebook, by the way? See, yeah. now that yeah. is a balanced perspective. But, but that's the same person who who said something in the beginning. He said, "Oh my God, no offense, Umberto, but you don't get this." Um, Emma says, "Please tell Umberto that I've been a wedding photographer for a few years now, and have had seen many people." Oh, you're just talking about Tinder because you you were claiming that Tinder was for weird people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Depends on see. what you mean by weird. It's uh, a great discussion. I enjoy. So uh, Ash says, uh, "Great discussion. I enjoy the discourse between the two of you." Anyway, um, so I've said my piece, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. I don't need to get back into the debate. Feel oh. free to comment either one of you on whatever you want to do about that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, it's like this. I totally acknowledge that there are blind spots to me uh, when it comes to some of these things. Uh, where I was trying to make my uh, plant my flag, if you will, right, was that in a commercial where it was showing fairly obvious cases of like bullying and and total like there's this one scene where this executive is stopping a woman executive from talking and saying what she really meant to say was okay, now that's you know, like, another thing. like these obvious like okay yeah. that's terrible right okay they add this scene as like. And and this too, right? Oh, I see. And I and I'm sitting there going like, "Wow, this is so out of place." And they could have tweaked the scene just in two hairs and made it totally understandable. Like the the gal is walking up, and the guy does say something yeah. sort of smarmy or, or rude or, or or gross. Absolutely, like okay, we're done. We're having. A, of course, no one agrees with this. That's my my main point with all of it was. Uh, the lack of empathy goes both ways sometimes. So it's true. Women get approached constantly and the hotter ones are so sick of it. That's true. The flip side is also true. Guy, There is a, a lot of class of guys that would love that kind of attention from the opposite sex or their own sex if they're gay or whatever. But the uh, I, I'm just going to keep it to the opposite sex. They would love to get that kind of attention from women and they don't ever, ever they don't ever. And when they ever, they do try to approach a woman, they are awkward. They don't know what to say. And I'm not talking about like some like really retrograde per dude who really has no social manners. I'm talking about a lot of guys, right? And they, they just don't know how to ask someone out on a date. And they tried approaching them on the street and they acted like they were trying to, uh, uh, you know, throw insults at them. They approached them at the bar and it's like, oh no, I'm with my friends. Leave me alone. They tried to go to the mixer and it didn't work. At work, their boss talked to them about but not not like making the coworker feel uncomfortable. So like, what, the f- what am I supposed to do in life? And that frustration goes 
without empathy as well. And now, in this case, in the commercial, the dude's a good-looking guy. He's he's going to make his approach. It probably will fail. I just didn't think it rose to that level at all. He didn't say anything rude. And and clearly, the guy's actually on the level because the buddy, you know, I know a lot of guys that if their buddy's like, no, cool, not cool, they're going to be like, fuck you, dude. And there's like, rush. <laughs> yeah. Not this guy. He's like, okay, okay, fine. Right? So he's clearly on the on the bubble at worst. Right? So I just felt like that's not the right example. And if you want to say that I am I am not understanding how women feel, that may be true. But I just feel like I don't feel like we are being understood a little bit in that regard too. We as in the men. So there's my piece. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can't, could we take a broader perspective here and see how all of this could be true? That everybody has yeah. a perspective in this whole thing, and there's God knows. I have personal friends that have that have been harangued by men that are just clueless or worse. Yeah. And I've been hit on by people that I didn't want to be hit on, and they were a little too aggressive in public places. I just, right, I don't know. Right. Should the message be that you shouldn't approach anybody in public? I mean, but I haven't seen this commercial, so right, keep that right, in mind. Right. But just, and just now, you said it sounds like there were earlier scenes that sort of set a tone. Well, and there's there's a little bit to the guy. Like they, I think they made him good looking on purpose to make him look a little like a little sleazy maybe about it because he makes a face like, ooh, you know, mama. he doesn't say mamacita, but you could hear him say mamacita, yeah. right? So I think that's part of what works into And scene. I think girls have, are identifying with guys like that and, and that tying right. it to experiences they've had where they've had right. some douchebag do that exact same right. thing and kind of filled in the blanks with their own personal right. experience. So, so I guess to soften my message, I would say like, okay, maybe that's not great. I just wouldn't have lumped it in altogether. Like I think we try to make... Everything terrible. Wow. Everything's the worst. Yeah. You have not just softened your message. You have completely retracted it, according to to my eyes. Okay. Which which I think means... I retract it. Which means that you're listening to these people. Right. But I don't retract the fact that, like, I want to go so hard on this guy. He's just trying to meet someone. But your tone today is different than sure, your tone sure, before. You, sure. you, you're a changed man. You, I'm a changed man. You, you've woke up to a little bit. Uh, that's good. You, you've listened to the women who have written in. And I've had time to process. And, yeah. 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 All right. Let's take a break. When we get back, let's... let's <laughs> Drain looks puzzled. Let's, I am. What, what are you puzzled by? I just, I just don't see how it's this much of a black and white issue. It seems so obvious that yeah. both perspectives are absolutely correct. I, I think that's where I'm netting out. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Well, they're they're like the the people that are writing in are talking about their own personal experiences and they're tying it to this commercial and they're thinking about things that they've been through with and like you said, an attractive woman. If if only one in every fifty guys is a, a rapist or a douchebag or something in between, and they get hit on by fifty guys a day, that means gonna once get a day one. they're going to have one of these guys, right? <laughs> sure, so sure, sure. they have some experiences, and at the same time. Is the message that nobody should approach anybody in public at all? Like, how the hell are you ever supposed to meet anybody? And, and uh, if you look at pop culture and movies, that's not the message that's being conveyed. Uh, oh, I, well, I agree with that. Uh, people, sure. people can. I mean, I mean, I agree with the fact that in uh, the media they don't portray the reality of women being harassed on the street as often as they are. And and I think we should be careful about terms like harassment because I think harassment implies that he was. He was rejected and then persisted anyway. And but th- again, there's no clear words to describe what they were trying to depict. Yeah, like we're we're it's open th- to interpretation. The three of us are inserting the word harassment. 
the Gillette commercial never says. No, this. no, no. This. That was used in the. Comment. Well, this. Well, but that's no. this person. But. No, she did. She said. Uh, a gra- uh, I don't remember. Uh, threatening. 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 Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think that there's levels to this and certainly someone going up to someone and saying, hey, hey, can I talk? Oh, I can't. Okay, fine. Might have been annoying. I don't think that's harassment. Some people might think it is. I don't think it is. But someone going like, yo, baby, come give me the ditches. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Oh, you bitch. Chat okay, call. Now, right. now, now we're, we're in something else. Fucking harassment. Wait, and and level, hitting yeah. on a girl that's trying to walk to her car outside of a 7-Eleven is obviously a very stupid place to try to hit on a girl. I think we it wasn't a 7-Eleven. It was like a Starbucks. <laughs> I just don't know if it rises to the level. I and I don't know. I've not, I haven't seen this, and it sounds like it because it's so open to her interpretation yeah. that people are filling in their own experiences. Yeah. Right, Emily, patron Emily, whom we all know as well. Uh, oh yeah, basically said that, which is that the commercial is a Rorschach test for brilliant whoever you are. Well you done, know? Emily. She's a therapist, <laughs> by the way. Let's take a break, and when we get back, let's continue answering some of your questions. What do you say? Let's, let's do, do it. it. All right, we are back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of Michael Drain's podcast on popular culture, do so now. Go to patreon.com. Slash UPC podcast. UPC podcast. Uh, become a patron of our podcast. Also, if you're having trouble with the premium feed, email us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. Also, like our Facebook page and play our Tuesday Tougher Bluff game. Uh, we had a, a recent Tougher Bluff in which I basically bluffed everyone who played the game, and there was a lot... Because the... Tougher Bluff was um, Facebook uh, use is associated with higher self-esteem. And everyone was like, oh, Bluff, that's, that's, there's no way that that's true, right? Facebook and self-esteem, there's no way. But actually, research shows. I mean, the research is really uh, mixed, kind of. But there's plenty of studies actually pointing to. Now, does Facebook cause self-esteem to be high? No, it's just a correlation. It, it seems that People with higher self-esteem tend to use Facebook more often. It's probably dependent on how many friends they have on Facebook. How popular are you on Facebook tying directly into your self-esteem? So they looked into stuff like that, and they, they find that uh, the way people use Facebook depends on how helpful it is. Um, but there's this dominant, very, apparently very dominant understanding in our culture right now that Facebook and social media erodes your your well-being. There's like this notion like there's nothing good about Facebook. There's nothing good about Twitter. There's nothing good about anything on the internet. And it's like, right. that can't be true. I have a theory on this based on mirror neurons. On mirror is, neurons? Mirror neurons. Oh, mirror, neur- mirror neurons. Kirk loves when I talk about mirror neurons. <laughs> well, there's just a lot of pseudoscience about mur- mirror neurons. It's because we don't understand it very well yet. Yeah, right. You know? I mean, there's legit science about it for sure. Well, if you can assume that we they were wired and evolved to bond by actual physical, like I'm looking right now at both of you, I'm in the room with both of you, and my brain is wired to do that because that's right. how we were evolved, right? Yeah. Well, social media takes all of that out the window. And so is it the same um, nourishment, the same social nourishment, because you're not getting those mirror neurons fed? Visually, you're saying. I've heard that argument. And just like in a proximity kind of way. I think just being in a room, like a quality time sort of perspective. I've heard I've heard those arguments, right? Like uh, it's it's time immemorial. The advent of computers, the advent of the Internet, the advent of Facebook. It's killing our ability to socialize. And the fact is that. I am able to socialize with my relatives and my family in the complete opposite side of the world at 
almost all times now where I never before was able to. So I'm able to keep those relationships way more alive. To give you an example, leading up to my birthday last week, in years past, I would probably do a call with my dad and maybe my grandma. Sometimes my aunt would call me. So maybe like three calls. And and then on Facebook, you know, all these people post like, happy birthday, happy birthday. Well, but then, you know what I also did? I created a WhatsApp group and, with my relatives from Colombia. And it was great because like that day, they weren't just like, hey, happy birthday, bro. No, it was like <laughs> these beautiful messages and like you've meant so much in our family, little audio messages they sent me, some, some jokes and things like that. And it went on for hours and we went back and forth like I haven't had an interaction like that with my family on my birthday yeah. for 35 years or something like that. Right. So that that's a good point that I think is often ignored by the common discourse. The other thing is, is that that's a solution to industrialization um, and to uh, the diffraction of families. Um, yeah. the, you know, if we went further back in history, all those people would be within earshot of you on your birthday. Oh, most of them dead, but sure. Which goes to that <laughs> point that socialization itself is an evolving thing, just like language yeah. and society itself. You know, uh, yeah, it's no, absolutely. Changing. There is truth on both sides. Absolutely. I just think it's it's so easy to cast this net. Totally. Of like, and, 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 and I yeah. find old and young people alike share this value. Sure. Like, even though young people are more likely to use social media, I find a lot of young people will denigrate social right. media because they'll just be like, oh, Facebook, oh, Instagram is so dumb. And it's like, you must be using it for some reason. Having said that, like I said before, there's there's different ways you can use Facebook. So if when so when I I've you know I've been using Facebook for what twelve years now or something, right. and I've used it in various different ways. I've landed on a certain way of using it, and I've been mostly like this throughout the years. In that I don't really I don't do it to talk about politics. I don't do it to. Um, get likes like I don't really care if I get it I went through a period where I actually went through a period like that where it's like ooh I got this many likes like right. what else could I post that will get likes right, right right well that and that's the source of what people are complaining about right but I don't use Facebook like that anymore I know for example my mother doesn't use Facebook like that <laughs> and probably never has right and I use Facebook as a way, as you're saying, Berto, to connect with other people in, in ways that I wouldn't be able to. Like on Absolutely. your birthday, for example, um, you know, we weren't going to see each other, but on my fa- my Facebook actually told me, you know, that um, four years four, ago, four years ago, yeah, I posted a mashup video of which you. is an amazing mashup video. I liked it. Uh, um, oh, you saw it? I I physically liked it on Facebook, and I emotionally enjoyed it so right I yeah. like that in a duplicitous way so yeah. so four years ago i took all the video clips that i'd ever videoed of birdo and made like a three minute epic mashup yeah, yeah. yeah and there's all these like totes adorbs funny you know and you, what's great is i actually had forgotten not not like forgotten about the action but i, I like forgot there was this video i forgot about the video too and then you post it i'm like oh right <laughs> and then i watched it again and it was like fun again you know like <laughs> And, oh, and by the way, uh, so I had left Facebook for, for almost three months, actually. It was like two and a half months uh, out of protest for their involvement with the with uh, not doing proper, uh, not taking proper steps to limit the negative influences of Russian hacking and things like that. For right? sure. So I took a break. And I was actually debating not coming back because, honestly, part of me didn't miss it. One thing is my mom actually started telling me how much she missed me posting 
pictures and updates. And so I thought, oh, yeah, there's that little contingent. Of- yeah. I mean, obviously, if people aren't into it, they're not into it. But there's a way to use it that I, th- I think I think we're still all trying to figure it out. Yeah. Like, again, and, and I never really thought about it just now that I went through a phase where I was trying to get fulfillment through likes on right. Facebook. Right. And found that eventually I sort of burnt out on it. Eventually I was just like, well, it's kind of meaningless. Right. Like pe- people just like things sort of reflexively, you know, like, well, that looks like something I'm supposed to, <laughs> I'm supposed to like a cat. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's, it's not super meaningful. Do you sure. know what I mean? It's not like a, sure. it doesn't really, it doesn't mean as much as I kind of thought. It Absolutely. Meant There's the all kinds of dynamics. Like people will like something based on how many likes it already has. Oh, like totally. a cumulative bandwagon kind of. Yeah. phenomenon. So, so at, I remember at a certain point I was like, okay, I'm going to use Facebook for things that I actually value, which is connection with other people. Yeah. And you start posting a lot of your history, like your family history. Yeah. Right. Your videos. And I'm not so concerned about, cause I'm friends with hundreds of people on Facebook. I'm not so concerned with, all those people even looking at those posts. Right. What I'm mainly posting it for is for my family. That's right. It's yeah. Facebook is the main place and extended family. I'm talking like third. Yeah. Th- I have third cousins. I'm right. friends because I've done right. all this genealogy. Where else am I going to post something about, about family history and they're all going to see it? Right. Like right. I would have to individually email all of them <laughs> or something. And yeah. that's just not convenient. Whereas right. Facebook, I can instantly tag them all. Totally. Blah, blah. Totally. We do and, have another use though, especially the three of us. This the Facebook and social like media promotion. is promotional for sure. our podcasts, yeah, yeah. and know. and for you know my. Band. So I'll tell you the, the negative is I had started to use it as a as this rat hole of debates because of the political climate. Right, you would get into debates with constantly, oh and God. they were that long rat holes, yeah. dark. Yeah. And then I started slowly realizing how unhappy it was making me and also how useless they were. Right. Because I wasn't convincing them. No, they're not they certainly budge. weren't convincing me. Right. So it was like, you know what? What am I doing? And and that and part, text part of me, the best way to articulate yourself in, in, right. in, in well, 160 right. character tweets. But so, even if you were talking to them, I'm sure it wouldn't sure. go. So on. part of me actually leaving was protest, but also sort of like therapy. And as since I've been back, I have no desire to get in any of that stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It was sort of like a cold turkey plunge. Of out. course, it gets kind of scary and depressing because then the message seems to be we shouldn't have conversations with people we disagree with. And that sucks. True. And where are we supposed to have the conversations? Right. right. If, is this not the best possible platform? It feels I don't like think, it should be. I don't it's think not. so, honestly. In theory, it feels like it would be. If you it's didn't not. know, right. if you went back to the 90s and explained totally. Facebook, yeah, 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 right. they'd be like, oh my God, that sounds great. Right. Yeah. A, a place where you could learn about, you know. Other the, perspectives right. and, and come together and all this stuff of what it's supposed to be on paper. Yeah. And the reality is just not that. Right. So... Like our Facebook page, and you can uh, participate in our Tuesday Tougher Bluff game, which can sometimes be quite lively, as we're exhibiting right now. Um, Along those lines, um, I have a band called New York City Cops, where we play different covers. We're currently doing um, The Strokes and Radiohead. We're going to, I think, go into The Beatles next. And if you go to New York City Cops on Facebook, you can find out about our shows around Seattle. I'm going to your show tomorrow night to heckle you. I'm uh, going too. I, I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, tweet Birdo at Psych Zero Birdo. Also, uh, Birdo. find Psycho Birdo on YouTube. He's posting on YouTube, Psycho Birdo. 
So psycho. Also, if you're looking for archived episodes, go to our website. That's the best place to find older episodes. If you're listening to this on your phone or on Patreon, in all likelihood, you don't even have access to the majority of episodes that that we've made because we've made 850 episodes or something. We have another Patreon goal on Patreon. We're trying to get up to, uh, uh, I think, 1,100 patrons, if I'm not mistaken. And at that uh, level, we'll, we'll, we will offer another scholarship for, for $2,500. So uh, go there, and you can be part Holy of macaroni. the magic to actually support needy students in mental health. Uh, so there's that. Okay. I just wanted to... Uh, sometimes people ask me to talk about movies and I don't want to go into it too much. So I'm just going to breeze right through movies I've seen recently and you can chime in if you have anything to say. All Got right. it. Uh, to, today or yesterday, I rewatched Deadpool 2. Oh, I've never seen that. I saw that with you, Kirk. That was hilarious. So, Man, that's the best movie. Yeah, I love Deadpool 1 and Deadpool 2 I thought would be great and it was. Yeah. And I gave it a 9 out of 10 when I watched it the first time. And then I rewatched it again and gave it a 90 town. I rewatched it again uh-huh. and I bumped it up to a 10. Really? Whoa. <laughs> I got to watch what this. What changed? I, well, I watched the version with Fred Savage. Have you seen the version with Fred Savage? No. There's this other version where Jeez. they include, it's like Princess Bride where uh, Fred Savage is in bed and the grandfather's reading. And so <laughs> Deadpool is reading to Fred Savage and he has uh, Fred Savage duct taped to the bed. And he, <laughs> and he recreated the, the bedroom scene from Oh my God, from that's that, awesome. The, and so every once in a while, you know, as in Princess Bride, they come out of the movie and they come to that uh, bedroom scene. And so maybe it was that, I don't know. But I just, there, I think what it is is the... I've seen a lot of movies. I always see a lot of movies, and I haven't really seen anything that's really been like really good. Uh-huh. And upon watching Deadpool two, I was just like, "This is a great story. It's understandable. It's not like this sweeping Avengers plot that you know spins out of control. Uh-huh. It's hilarious from beginning to end. I feel so left out. It's that, well casted you, too. Did you see Deadpool one? Of course. Well, it's. Just all all the same treats work in no, the second one, yeah. I guess what what happened was, for some reason, I assumed that the second one wouldn't be as good. No, it is. It's it, good. It, it, oh. it, yeah. it, it's it's in some ways it's, okay, it's I'm better. Watching it you know how tonight, George? You know maybe. how George Clooney was an amazing Batman? Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's how Ryan. No, right? Like like sometimes the actor is not well cast for to play the superhero. Yeah. But Ryan, oh, Ryan was born is for this. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, totally. for Deadpool too. Uh, yesterday I saw the favorite, which is a movie that is up for a lot of Oscars. Oh. And it's a period piece. Did, did any of you see the Lobster, the movie with uh, Colin I, Colin Farrell? No, but I know what you mean. Uh, same director, but so so the favorite is like about the qu- qu- two queens or two Queen queens? Anne. No, you're thinking of uh, well, it's about Queen Anne in the early 1700s, yeah, and uh, it's historical fiction. So they're taking uh, the the history of it and expanding greatly and speculating greatly uh, on on the story. But isn't uh, like there's two women, one of them's jealous of the other. Yeah, uh, the previews make it look like a comedy. It's kind of funny, but it's it's actually pretty dark. Okay, a lot of, and the story goes in some very interesting ways. But the dialogue is great. the The drama is great. It's basically about three women. Okay. Yeah, it's about it's about a queen and like two people who are trying to vie for her attention. Right, right. 
and the costumes cool. are fantastic and the setting is fantastic because they actually shoot the movie in an actual palace in England that used to uh, where you know uh-huh. they used to live. Man, uh, I hate it when you go off on movies, Kirk, that I haven't seen. Can't do that in the podcast, man. Well, <laughs> we're having a Oscar party that both of you are coming to, oh, so, yeah. so I got, better watch it. You got to start because yeah. th- this is this is one is up for a okay. lot of. Us. I right. will be wearing my high school prom tuxedo. Oh, so you still have it? Uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, First Reformed is another that's up for screenplay. Ethan Hawke. Uh, it's the same. He the writer director wrote uh, Taxi Driver and Last Temptation of Christ. Oh wow. And uh, other movies like What's that. What's it called again? First Reformed. First Reformed. It's about a. It's about. It's about a priest or a minister, modern day, who is get. He is struggling with health, and he becomes. Um, uh, shall I say, like extremist in some ways? Uh, that kind of makes sense. Anyway. Uh, I gave a seven out of ten. There's some weird scenes in it that I didn't like, but I thought it was going to leave no trace. Uh, a movie that actually a listener said you got to see it. Uh, it's about PTSD. Uh, a guy comes back huh. from from the war, and uh, him and his daughter, the mo- the mother I think had died or something, and to in order to get away from his from being triggered, he takes his daughter into the woods around Portland, Oregon, oh. and lives in the woods. But it's and they're they're happy. They, you know, they survive. Everything's great. But social services totally disagrees with it, right? Because oh, the girl has to go to school. And right. it's, consi- it's considered. So there's this weird. And they play it very realistic. Like the social oh, workers. Wow. The social workers aren't evil. Right. They, they're, they're just. Doing they're just their, really burned out and underpaid. Well, these social workers don't seem very burned out. They, they seem like they're happy to do their jobs. And, <laughs> so and, it's not very realistic. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, the Sisters Brothers with John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix. Have you seen this movie? No. Pretty good. Uh, eight out of ten. I, I really liked it. Um, it's so a, many it's a, movies I haven't even heard yeah, of. It's a Western. It's a Western. I'm such a loser. Uh, I rewatched Die Hard. Oh, yeah. Die Hard. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... And I thought you can swear on this podcast. I know. I I thought it was sometimes the absence of a cuss word is yeah, even more powerful. It's fine. The, the okay. space made made itself felt. Yeah. I hadn't watched Die Hard all the way through in a long time. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, I'm sure it's okay. It's it's a solid movie. I love Die Hard. Sure, uh, the ending is ridiculous, <laughs> but but there up until a certain point, it was like. It's, it's a thrilling movie. Yeah, man. It, it moves it's fast. so funny. It's yeah. And, and didn't they recently rip off Die Hard? In um, it, was it not Vin Diesel? Uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson re- just ripped this uh, Die Hard premise off. It's called The Tower. I yeah, think. really. I didn't see it. No, I didn't. I didn't need to see it because I've seen Die Hard. Uh, the so it's de- fine. The Death of Stalin. Anyone see that movie? It came out last year. Uh, no, I gave it seven out of ten. It's pretty good. It's again historical fiction about the week around when Stalin died. Okay. And it's it's definitely a comedy, but the way that they tell the story, I looked up the accuracy of the story, is actually fairly accurate. So if you want to kind of get a, a... It's sort of like um, Veep. Have you ever seen the TV show yeah, Veep? Yeah, It's like that, but... Because Veep can kind of be realistic at times about American right. politics. So it's like that, but... Uh, in 1953 or whatever in in USSR when Stalin died, it's it's pretty good. Huh. And no one, there was no uproar about it or anything. Uh, what do you mean? Like I don't, maybe I'm mistaking, but like if they were all Russian like taking soldiers, it too light, light, 
considering right. the massacres. And I thought about that because they make fun of all those people, you know, and uh-huh. you would think the Russians would be like, hey, you're ma-, you know, because if the Russians made a comedic story about the death of uh, right. of like Abraham Lincoln or something, it'd be like, what are you doing? Like you're um, the other kind of cool thing about it is none of them are in these none of them are speaking in fake Russian accents. Oh, <laughs> like they're they're all just speaking in their regular accents. Huh. Like there's a, like Steve Buscemi's in it and he's just talking in his regular voice. Interesting. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, Beautiful Boy with Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. I think it's also... I heard that's great. Um, I didn't like it. Really? It's about a boy who has meth addiction or just various addictions, and the father is uh, trying to save his life, essentially, and the kid's in and out of rehab and all this kind of stuff. That sounds brutal. And it is pretty brutal. And I thought, you know, it depicted it fairly well, but... The dialogue and the writing and the directing of mm. the actors is so bad. I mean, Steve Carell. Really? I think Steve Carell has sort of reached his limit in my mind. I love The Office. We're at peak Carell. I loved him in 40-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> and I feel like he's getting cast in movies that he should not be in. Uh, he does like, He does dramatic roles pretty well, though. So I mean, he's capable of it. Like The Way Back, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. He's that, step, that, that evil stepdad. He's really good in that. But in Beautiful Boy... Even Timothy Chalamet, who is a wonderful actor, uh-huh. the dialogue, um, it, the way it seemed to me, and this is just me speculating, of course, was that the director, who I believe is not American, he, you know, he's not an American, he doesn't speak English. I see. For, he's not, it's not his primary language. So I think what happened was he told the actors to go through the scene, and I think he, he took like the first take. Like you can imagine like the first take being kind of clunky where you can tell the gears are turning in the actors' minds, you know what I mean? Right, you know right, how right. you can tell when certain actors they're they're not really comfortable with the lines yet? Right. Every scene kind of felt that way to me. Interesting. And and especially Steve Carell. I mean, he just seemed like he was really oh. struggling with 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 the with the acting and it just I just never was convinced that yeah, Steve Carell was that character, you know. Hmm. Um Having said that, there's some wonderful scenes, and the movie was like way too long. I mean, this movie has no plot. It's not one of those things. It's not like a. It's just a. Right. It's just a treasury through this difficult time <laughs> in this family's life, and it's. I think it was like two hours long or something, and it's like you could have. Wow. Why? What does it need right. to be? Long? Anyway, I, I give it five out of ten. It's. It's. You know, if you want to watch a movie like that, something. Okay. Patron Claire writes in. She says. I was wondering if you would be willing to offer your insight on the anti-vaxxer movement. Bro, oh, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> oh, so anti-vaxxing. Uh, years ago, actually, maybe a decade ago, uh, I started looking into this because, honestly, I am absolutely skeptical uh, of uh, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, Any time where you set up a system where the incentive is, how much can we charge a governmental structure to produce, to put our product out into the ecosystem? You're going to get corruption. And that is what we have, right? So we have a system where essentially, uh, and doctors, private and government, where it's like, what drugs can we pump out there? Because that's how we make money. We got to make money out of these drugs. So that's why you have all these commercials with all these various drugs you can tell your doctor about and all these things. So I'm very skeptical about it. And I started hearing these little rumors and and uh jenny mccarthy and and jim carrey were like pretty sure our our son's autistic because we gave him a vaccine 
And I'm like, why? Why? What's happening? And I'm like, yeah, actually, there are a lot of autistic cases lately. Maybe there's something to this, you know? And I just, I remember doing a deep dive. Like, I watched everything I could and read everything I could within, you know, a weekend, you know, like just, I spent hours and hours and hours deep diving on this. And, and I, and the, it didn't take that long to start finding like, oh, okay. I think a lot of them are basing this stuff on some study that some doctor did that was like, oh, some potential correlation between autism and mercury and vaccines. A study which was then like basically refuted. And then he was, he was this, like he was, uh, I think, this not, what do you call a doctor that gets disbarred? <laughs> not a, Unemployed. The equivalent of disbarred for lawyers, but for doctors, right? Like, uh, his, the, the boards refuted his, his stuff or whatever. And anyways, I started looking into it. And then I, uh, I also knew, okay, well, there are a lot of vaccines that come from China. And actually, I, I'm sure the quality standards are low, right? But you can actually get vaccines that are made here in America and then they don't contain a lot of, uh, extra pollutants and stuff. But once the damage was done, it was done. And so a lot of folks started going down that rabbit hole and, and, and not, I guess, not going deep enough to be like, oh, wait a minute. If you do a little more research, you see that, no, 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 vaccines absolutely help. They've been helping for a long time. Uh, you just, you can work with your doctor to not give 10 vaccines the same day to your child, but it doesn't mean that they're, that they're going to die from autism with the mercury and all this and, stuff. Good. And to be clear, to, to, you know, the, there's been a lot of research because, wouldn't it be interesting if we were actually contributing to the rise of autism through vaccines? So, right. So obviously medical professionals are very interested in that. Right. And a done, mystery that they've had, like, why is there autism? Well, yeah, and, and they've done and they've done tons of studies on this and found that there's absolutely no correlation between vaccines and autism. Yeah, I had an, I worked in the ER and I had an ER doc explain this to me in detail about how the 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 vaccine is not harmful. And I'm not a medical. Guy, so I don't know, but I, but there are other explanations for the rise of autism. Like our understanding of it has increased, and before it was diagnosed as something else, and in that it's it actually might have always been existed, but it was passed off as something like maybe schizophrenia, for example, or mental retardation, or, or developmental delay, or something like that. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the autism spectrum disorder, by definition, includes a lot more individuals. Exactly. And the awareness of it, and you, know, you say the diagnosis of it, so it looks like autism is on the rise, but when you look at the data, it seems as though we're just detecting more of it, or we're just labeling it more often. And just like everything right. else, it's a spectrum, and higher on the spectrum, people who are high-functioning autistic pass on in the world without, you know, um, people think they're... Um, socially awkward or something, but but otherwise, you know, you wouldn't. It, it would definitely wouldn't have been seen. I think twenty years ago, it wouldn't have been recognized at all. Right. Right. Well, part of it is also like we live uh, like my generation and the younger generations. They never had to live with polio. Yeah. Or you tuberculosis. Know? Or measles. Or measles. Or measles. So it's like I don't know. Do, what, what? I don't yeah, see a problem. Ma- yeah, like, what's the problem? Go. Right. Whereas the the boomers were like, uh, excuse me, I had polio. <laughs> you know, like and. I actually, when I was growing up in Colombia, polio was still a problem. I didn't, like when I moved up here, I was like, oh, polio has been eradicated here. And I think it was eradicated globally in the 90s, right? I believe that that's right. Uh, but that was a problem. And it, it's like we don't realize how vulnerable we are already with things we can't even vaccinate against. And here we are making it worse with things we had problems we had already solved. Yeah. Oh, it's so tragic. Right. So I think as measles 
you know, because there's something like over 30 cases in Washington State in Clark County, which is down by Portland, right. Portland actually. And that uh, I think what will happen is the pendulum will swing and parents, any parent who was on the fence or who was in the anti-vax uh, right. arena will be like, so there are kids getting measles and going to the hospital? Right. Like, so wait, what was I doing? Right. right. And, and, and I think uh, to your point, a lot of the things that we've been vaccinating have been completely out of people's awareness. Right. And it's like, yeah, what's the problem? You know, like, I don't see a problem. Why do I need to vaccinate my kid? Like, right. measles doesn't exist. Mm. And it's like, uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. CDC that's why, has a sample of it in Atlanta. That's why you have the vaccine. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, um, but yeah, I find that it's interesting. You know, I've, I've talked to, I've, I actually talked about this in a different podcast that you guys weren't on. Cause I don't have you guys on every podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, but I, the only thing I think I can add to what we've already said is that for some reason, there's a certain group of people who are extremely skeptical of scientific consensus, but only among select things that right. are, is, you know, no one questions airplanes flying, for example. Right. Or, or they will be tw- tweeting their scientific skepticism on their phone, right. not realizing all the steps, that little electronic message. How did me pressing on a thing cause little characters? And then those characters got bundled up and sent into the air. Right. And it, like somehow I tell the world that I'm skeptical of science. Right. And so, <laughs> so to be clear, there are scientists who, through the scientific method, scientific method, incrementally discovered things and are currently still making claims about electricity and radio waves right. and transmission and re- reception and zeros and ones. And and no one questions that. You're just like, well, yeah, of course, you know, of course. computer people, they understand cell phone people. They, but for some reason, vaccination people have no idea what they're talking about <laughs> or, you know, evolution, those scientists, they have no idea what they're talking about or psychiatry. They right, have, they have right. no idea what they're talking about or, uh, GMO people who say GMOs are fine. They have no idea what they're right, talking right. about. It's it's just it's they select these slivers of science totally where they're just or global warming. It's like all those idiots, all of them are idiots. But every <laughs> other but every other scientist completely fine. Yeah, the ones I do depend on day to day. I guess you know part of it too. No, I can't empathize with this. Say you're a young person about to have a child. And you look around and this world looks dangerous for little children, you know, there's so many and you go online and you you're looking for better care and then you see this little article. Don't vaccinate your child. You'll kill him. You'll give him autism. Well, and it's posted on Facebook. And it's posted on Facebook. In fact, your friend Ron had posted a really funny comic about it saying it was like a person that was like riddled with measles and it was <laughs> yeah. like, Well, at least I don't have autism. It's like, <laughs> fuck you, Karen. <laughs> you know, like like which would you rather have? Would you rather be autistic or would you rather be dead from measles? <clears throat> exactly, exactly. So that's the, but but you know, I could I can empathize to that right. parent. Or right. That potential so parent. so and even more viscerally, your six-month-old child who is totally vulnerable and you have a deep, deep, you know, visceral, human, soul-to-soul connection with. And when that child is uncomfortable, your your head hurts, your heart hurts. When that child is sick, you can't do anything but just stand over it and go like, oh my God, what do I do? Like, the kid is sick. And then you take the child and you hand the baby over to a 
physician who starts stabbing the baby with needles and starts injecting God knows what into right. that child. That is a scary. Yeah, it's scary. You're in, and unless you have like a, a robust understanding of why the society is recommending this, then you're going to be like, well, you know. And then you get the article and you get Jenny McCarthy. Right. Then you're like, well, just I'll err on the side of not doing that. Right. You know right. What I mean? Because you don't see the consequences. No, no. It, it, any good conspiracy theory is based somewhat in truth. And so, like you said, Birdo, big pharma, rich, greedy, pushing drugs on people all the time totally happens. And it becomes a basis for this art. Right. Like, well, like opiates, for example. Exactly. Like a classic that there we actually do have a. I mean, I wouldn't call it a conspiracy theory. I would just call it a a massive marketing push that that companies will do. Right. And physicians were not pushing back when they should have been. How do you if feel I, about the topic of because because there's they're playing with laws about mandatory vaccinations. How do you feel about that? Because I yeah, I that, pro vaccination, but I don't like the idea of yeah. I have to have one. It depends on the on the condition with measles. I. I wonder because if it was like smallpox or something or, you know, something that killed people, I don't know. I mean, because other countries, they'll do this. You know, yeah. other other countries, the society just is such where they don't value individual freedom the way that, you know, the Americans do. And, you know, their people are fine. Do you know what I mean? It's not like. Uh, everything's horrible over there. It just feels like a, once you justify like a mandatory shot in the arm, then where does it end? You it, know, yeah, it just feels scary. Yeah, as a as a person who has a libertarian streak in me, it, right. it, it very much bothers me for sure. What what I would hope is that what we did in the past, because it wasn't like parents in the sixties and seventies and eighties didn't care about their babies. It was that they understood there's a reason for this, and it's a wonderful thing that we have vaccines. There are other countries where they don't have these vaccines, and their kids are dying as a result or are becoming disabled. Thank God we have scientists to solve our problems. In the same way that today, when you pick up a cell phone, you remember a time when that cell phone didn't exist. So you can can say, thank you, Samsung, for inventing this this cell phone. (laughs) Um, There will come a day when it's just... You know, people will just be like, well, didn't didn't cell phones always exist? Sorry, yeah. starting to happen. There's a new movie. I uh, don't know the movie, but an actress is a teenager and she plays uh, the character in the 80s. Uh-huh. And the actress didn't know how to work the Walkman. It had to be explained what the cassette tape was, right, how to right. actually utilize that. Right. So that's already starting to happen, man. She, in real life, you mean? In like, real life, the actress, the actress was, was like, what too do I do young with this? to even know what the hell that was. What and do you mean, what I did? It's a Walkman. What's you got Gen Zers that don't understand uh, life without a cell phone or even like that sense of privacy of that came with it. So, uh, yeah. The only other thing I'll say about this is that there's a lot of propaganda, which is hard for people to interpret, which we've basically been saying. Also, um, scientists need to communicate better with the public. The fact that Jenny McCarthy, she's just one human being, managed to completely eclipse the entire scientific community with her ranting and ravings. The, The fact that she can do that means that the scientific community is not doing their job at communicating to the public. The scientific community and the medicine, the medicine, the medicine community in general, of course, there are exceptions to this, but as a whole, they're more reactive, right? They're more like, okay, someone's sick, let's, let's right. fix them. They're not thinking, or the government or whoever is not spending enough money and, and energy on like, 
how do we head this off at the pass? I mean, right. Jenny McCarthy has been talking about this for 12 years or something. Right. And she's not stopped, right? It's been a long time. Yeah. It, the fact that we don't have we, – what we should be able to say to ourselves is, well, we know so-and-so, and we know so-and-so, and we know so-and-so. They are experts that, whom we'd love to go to who talk about such things, and they say that vaccines are fine, and they've laid it all out in this YouTube video – we don't have anyone like that. That might be giving people too much credit, though. I mean, yeah. it, it, think about the phenomenon of celebrity. I think a lot of the reason Jenny McCarthy is getting as much traction is because she's Jenny McCarthy. So versus a scientist that stands up on a podium, stuffy, no, no gravitas, no, no glamour. I'm not saying necessarily a scientist. There are plenty of pro-vaccination celebrities whom you could hire, sure. for example, yeah. or train or something. So who, who hires them, though? The government allocates money. To, yeah. to spend on public health, to educate the public, to, to save people's lives. You know, the, the, I agree with you. And I also see the problem of, oh, there we go. There's the government trying to use celebrities for indoctrinating us you're further. You're going to have somebody bitching about no matter what you do, you're going to have somebody. Well, especially, I mean, there is this whole thing about like the Hollywood elites. Yeah. And they're embedded well, the well, you find a gruff guy from you know mid Texas yeah, yeah, yeah. to talk about it. That's not like no. I have, think you're right. I think you're absolutely. It's not right. doesn't have to be Brad Pitt. Yeah. You know, there's and so my point is is like we have no one. We have no one like that yet. We all know Jenny McCarthy. Right. right. We all know her talking about this sort of thing. We have no figurehead of public health when it comes right. to this sort of thing, and that. That's a problem of our society. That's a problem totally. of our allocation of money. It wouldn't have cost much money to combat Jenny McCarthy. You probably could have done it literally for like $50,000. People so. associate celebrity with authority. And so if you're famous, you must know something. You must have some kind of special power and some kind of special insight and knowledge. And yeah. that's, an, that's a fundamental like influential psychology thing that, that's happening. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, as we and can see. And how do you fight that? You know? With well, another celebrity is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. You or or you fire. make a scientist like Bill Nye or something yeah. into, a, into right. a, a famous person. But Neil deGrasse Tyson will get on and say that, no, the earth is not flat. And anti and flat earthers will rebut him and call him a liar. Right. So even the expert opinion and, and right. a, a, a charming uh, celebrity-esque scientist like Neil deGrasse Tyson still gets swatted down. Absolutely. But if we do nothing, then... It gets so yeah, bad sure. that you have totally. actual measles cases, you know. Uh, so we clearly, have to do more. Yeah, no there, question. There's always going to be people always, on the fringes. Yeah. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. Anyway, so that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle, in which we answered random questions from you. If you have, sh- we always love short questions because it's easier to prepare for. It provokes us to talk about random things. So if you have short questions. Email it to us at contact at psychologyinstyle.com or comment on this video or whatever, and we'll maybe address that. Uh, Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. Yeah, you do.